Let's go. Had Let's a chance, go. but you blew it, blew it, blew it. Man, I'm great. Move on, baby, who this, who this, who this. Girl, you're messing with the wrong one. Now I'm flexing cause I'm on one. I'm on one. Flex, 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 flexing on. Flex, 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 flexing on you. to another edition of NBA University. Today is Wednesday, January 16th. Um, we're recording this before any games that are happening today, um, sort of in the afternoon. Um, and we're going to get into today um, some games that happened yesterday over the weekend um, and then jump into the SEC. Um, so we're going to start right now with Duke's past two games, one against Florida State um, and then the most recent one against Syracuse. So which game do you want to start with? Uh, I guess we can just go in order and go Florida State first. In a game that felt like Duke finally turned a corner with Cam Reddish really showing up. Uh, didn't have Zion in the second half and found a way to win a game against a pretty good team in a tough environment. And got me really excited. And then, of course, as I told Michael was going to happen, they followed that up with losing to Syracuse on Monday. Um, I care much less about the loss than I do losing Trey Jones for what I think will be six weeks at least, um, but it could be anywhere from two to 12 weeks with the AC joint separation. Um, and obviously Trey's not their most talented player by any stretch of the imagination, but Trey is their defense pretty much 100%, and he's he starts everything on the offensive end and really helps RJ by, um, by having RJ play off the ball and can come off screens and kind of plays on style and doesn't have to worry about initiating the offense himself. Um, and you can see that in the Syracuse game. I mean, Duke was up, I want to say, 14-4 to four or something like that. Um, six minutes into the game, Trey already had four steals, and then he got hurt, and Duke gives up 95 to a team that can't score 60 points on average. Um, so, obviously, losing Trey is pretty big. Yeah. Um, I was having this conversation with someone the other day. Um, Trey Jones is definitely the most important player uh, on Duke. Um, I think if anyone else goes out and Trey stays in, so if you take RJ out or you take Zion out, um, they still be, win that game in, against Syracuse. Um, but since Trey went out, um, you felt the tide totally shift as soon as he left. I mean, he had four steals when he went out. I think Duke only had one steal after that in that first half. Um, just brings intensity defensively and then organizes them. Um, without him on the floor, you sort, of, you sort of saw it at the end of regulation and in overtime on the offensive possessions when they needed a bucket. Um, didn't really know what to do against the, against the zone. No one was flashing high post, um, just sort of moving the ball up top, not really driving in, getting feet into the paint, trying to get to the baseline, short corner to the dunker. Um, so they're really out of sorts without him there. Um, if he's there and RJ's out, um, they still have scoring, still have organization, they still have defense, um, or if Zion's out like they did like against Florida State. Um, so that's going to be a huge, huge loss for Duke. Um, and I think they're really going to feel it against Virginia um, because if you're not clicking on offense against Virginia, it's going to be a long night. It's going to be very difficult to get buckets um, against that type of defense. Um, especially if you're not getting anything in transition. Um, but the Florida State game I thought was interesting. Um, Zion going down um, sort of towards the end of the first half and then not coming back into the game with that blurred vision. Um, but they still found a way to, to come out on top. Had an awesome out-of-bounds play. Um, that sort of sucked in the Florida State defense, preventing any, any easy, easy shot inside. Um, with Cam popping out and Cam having an absolute monster game. So what do you think of Cam's performance, in, especially against Florida State? Yeah, I mean, Duke doesn't win that Florida State game without Cam. I think he, had, I think he ended up with 20. But um, honestly, even if he misses that shot, I think the fact that Coach K drew up a play for Cam to win the game went farther than that shot going in did because – 
you could tell all year long Cam just was struggling so bad trying to find confidence and trying to figure his own game out. And, I mean, obviously it's tough. He's the third-ranked high school recruit coming into uh, this year, and he's an afterthought on his own team, which is just ridiculous. That shows you how uh, effective and important Zion and RJ have been. Um, and, I mean, for him to have 20 in that game is huge, but for him to hit the game-winning shot and bail Duke out in a game it looked like they were going to lose was massive. And then, of course, he has to get, get the flu and miss the next game. But hopefully he can continue that because they're going to desperately need him uh, without Trey. And I've also heard some rumblings that Cam played a lot of point guard in high school and that it's possible he could have the ball in his hands a little bit more just because not that it didn't work with RJ having the ball in his hands. I mean, he had nine assists in the game against Syracuse, but I, at least I personally don't want him playing point guard just because he's a, he's a shoot first type of player. Like he's always looking for his own shot, which isn't a bad thing. You need players like that. But uh, if it's, it's like option one, two and three are his jump shot or his layup or whatever. And then if he absolutely can't do anything with the ball, he's going to look for someone else. So that's not exactly what you want your point guard. Um, also Zion played a lot of point guard in high school, so we'll really see what happens, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. And that Virginia game is going to be pretty ugly. I do believe. Yeah. Uh, and I think what Duke needs to do, um, in my opinion here is to, to go big, bring in Marquise Bolden as in the starting lineup with the Delorier, um, Zion, and then have Cam and, and RJ in the backcourt, um, I, I do like him as a playmaker. I know you're not a huge fan of him making plays, but I think him getting them, him with the ball um, early and often is going to get his confidence going. He's a very um, confident, dependent type of player where he, he has to play with confidence. If he's not, um, he's invisible. Um, so if you get the ball into him, get him with Zion and RJ slashing, um, run pick and roll with Bolden, or Delorier, um, have them dive in hard where he can get a, a mid-range jumper or even get all the way to the rim, uh, I think will be huge for Duke in this time without Trey. Um, but I thought Florida State played really well against uh, against Duke. Um, they really challenged every shot, um, crowded Zion when he was playing in the first half, um, which has been pretty effective. Um, despite his like scoring outburst, Teams that crowd him when he's in the half court, um, he, he tends to struggle a little bit making a play out of that. Um, and what I mean by that is he put the he puts the ball on the floor and two to three guys come over to him, crowd him, make him make a decision other than going up for an easy dunk or a layup. Um, so I thought Florida State played really well with, in, in that capacity, um, and, and really just lost lost a tough one. Um, they if they won, they certainly would have deserved it, but. Um, it's just tough coming down to a, a shot like that. Um, they got a lot of promise um, and just got to keep that, that confidence going the way they played them. Um, but getting into the um, Syracuse game, I was kind of worried that Syracuse's size, I know Zach, you and I discussed this, um, Syracuse's size would, would affect them and Chukwa. Um, with 18 rebounds, even though he hasn't been playing great lately. Um, really exposed that. Bolden's very aggressive and active defensively and loves the block shots, so that opens up the opposite side. And Duke just did not rotate over to block him out, um, and he just got easy easy putbacks. So where do you think Syrac or Duke went wrong against Syracuse? Um, yeah, I mean, personally... They, it started out bad when Ty's battle couldn't miss. Um, and, I mean, Duke goes through it all the time. Like, Duke, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, all those top teams, the Blue Bloods, as people like to call them, um, they're always going to get the best shot from every team they play. And Syracuse is no different. Their superstar showed up. Uh, Elijah Hughes was fantastic. Hits a freaking 75-footer before the buzzer, of course. But um, and, and Ty's battle was great as well. And Duke played great defense, I thought, on Tyus for the most part. He just made contested shot after contested shot. He's a pro guard. I mean, he, he can't be affected. He can get his jump shot whenever he wants it. And if he's feeling it, he's going to make most of them. Um, but down the stretch, you hit it right on the head. Uh, Chuck Wu got a whole lot of offensive rebounds and putbacks because Bolden was coming over trying to block shots because Jack Light 
could not keep Tyus Battle in front of him. Um, it's not – I'm not, like – I kind of was expecting that because I, Jack White I don't think can guard Tyus Battle. Um, he was on the floor more times than he was in front of him, it felt like. But, uh, I mean, it, it comes from the fact that Jack White played 42 minutes in that game, and he's probably averaging under 20 a game um, the rest of the year. So losing Trey six minutes into the game, you're playing guys – like Alex O'Connor's playing 34 minutes, Jack White's playing 42 minutes. Those guys are just not ready for that, or not used to that at least. Um, so that was a huge problem. And honestly, Duke all year has been a pretty bad defensive rebounding team. Zion is pretty much the only one I really trust to go get a rebound. Um, and he, when he wants to go get it, he's going to go get it. But sometimes he's, he's a little tired, and you can tell that. Um, but, yeah, I think going forward – they're definitely going to need to figure out how to defensive rebound a little bit better as a team and worry less about leaking out um, because now without Trey, it's also going to be harder to manufacture points. So we'll see how they handle both those situations. Yeah, I think Duke relies too much on uh, getting the ball in transition and leaking out and getting out um, where their defensive rotations aren't aren't where they need to be. Um, so when Tyus Battle drives to the right, gets a step on Jack White, gets him on his side, and, and Bolden comes over. Whoever's on that weak side has to drop below Chukwa um, or whoever the big is, whoever they're playing. And that's something they really struggle with, whether it's RJ, Zion, um, O'Connell. Whoever's in at that point um, is sort of staying around, right around the wing and looking to see a block shot where they get the ball and can get out and just run. Um, whereas a, a sound defensive team like Virginia will get down to the block, cover the big man, um, box him out so we can get the ball and then go. Um, so I think Duke has to be more conscious of going after the ball. Um, but Syracuse sort of showed their potential. Uh, if Tyus Battle is able to, to play the way he played, um, Frank Howard able to get into the paint, um, O'Shea Brissett to hit some jump shots, um, this team could be good. Um, but a lot of it's reliant on how Tyus Battle is playing. And typically when, when teams rely on someone who has to get into the paint um, and create his own shot to be effective, um, they can have games where they lose to um, – they get crushed by Georgia Tech and then come back and beat Duke. So they'll have an up-and-down season, right. but um, I think they'll, they'll be a tournament team that as long as they're matching up like they did um, – last year or the year before when they made the Final Four. Um, I think they'll be fine. But we certainly... Yeah, I mean... Th oh, go ahead. They've definitely dug themselves a little bit of a hole um, with their game so far this year. Like, the game before they played Duke, you said it a little bit, but they lost by, I think, 18 to Georgia Tech at home. Georgia Tech's really bad. That's not a good loss at all. Um, but then they get their quad one uh, great victory at Duke. Um, and... They scored 95 points, which is just incredible because they've struggled all year. Uh, Hughes was on fire, especially in the first half. He didn't score. I think he only scored two points after the first half, but he was huge for them in the first half. Tyus was incredible all game. Uh, Frank Howard got going in the second half. Brissett made a couple jumpers in the second half. They have very good offensive players. They've just not put together an offensive game until that game against Duke. Uh, and it started by Tyus getting himself – at least not exactly into the lane, but he was getting himself pull-up jumpers at, like, the elbow um, before he started taking outside jumpers. And I think that whole team, and especially the offense, lives and dies as Tyus goes because if he can get himself going early on, then the hoop just looks bigger to everybody, not just him, when they can rely on a guy like Tyus to go get 30 because he sees his first couple jumpers go down. They all put so much more confidence. Um, but the last, thing, last couple things I'll say about Duke, the fact they scored 91 points with Syracuse playing a zone that basically had all five players in the paint and only shooting 20% from three on freaking 40-something threes, it felt like, was incredible. I don't know how I don't know how Zion scored 35 points, basically being quadruple-teamed in the lane. Um, and then the last thing, I think while Trey Jones is the most important player by far, and you'll never hear me argue that, um, I think that him sitting out, if he can come back before tournament time, is huge for Duke because, one, you saw Alex O'Connell stepped up big time against Syracuse, and he's basically, besides Cam, he's the only other shooter. So if he can get confidence and get going 
while Trey's out, that'll be huge for March. And two, Cam Reddish has to step up now, and the three top three freshmen have to play to their capabilities to keep Duke in the ACC race. So Trey's the type of guy where he's not gonna he's not gonna be hurt by missing games. Like he's not gonna come back rusty because Trey he isn't he won't be rusty. He'll play a great defense and he'll have his seven, eight, nine assists with zero or one turnovers. So it's not like they're gonna be hurt when Trey comes back because he's gonna take some time to get readjusted. So hopefully he just gets back within a month or so and then all those guys step up and I think at that point Duke will be really dangerous. Yeah, forces everyone to step up, and I think that'll be important for Duke when um, there's going to be games where Tyus make or Tyus <laughs> um, Trey gets into foul trouble um, in the ACC tournament or the March Madness, and they're going to have to play without him. And being used to playing without him is going to be, I think, I think good for them. Um, but we spent way too much time on Duke. Yeah, that was um, that was really long, like always. <laughs> Um, so we're going to jump into another ACC game that happened uh, yesterday, um, Tuesday, um, where Virginia absolutely dismantled Virginia Tech um, in Charlottesville. Um, just actually got done watching that for a second time. Uh, Virginia is just very, very disciplined, and then the way they were shooting the ball, um, I don't think there's a team in the country that could have could have beat them on their home court the way they shot the ball there. Um, so what do you what do you think of that game? Yeah, it pretty much just showed me that Virginia almost has no flaws. Um, it started from the very first possession of the game. So Virginia had the ball. Virginia Tech was like very aggressive, very intense defensively, really into each player, man to man, for like a solid twenty five seconds. Ty Jerome like fumbles the ball, dribbles it out, and all of a sudden Diakite is wide open under the hoop for a dunk. So they take the whole shot clock. Virginia Tech plays fantastic defense, and they still get dunked on. Um, they just move the ball so well. Ty, Ty Jerome this game was the one that was hot. Kyle Guy kind of took a backseat to Ty Jerome. I mean, they're running two shooters around that at any point can go for 30. And then they have DeAndre Hunter, who looked like himself finally again. And that's just a, that's deadly right there. Um, to have a, a, a true NBA lottery guy plus two really good shooters and then the most fundamental team and, and solid defense in the country. Uh, it's going to take a, a really Herculean effort, I think, to beat Virginia. Virginia Tech honestly did not play that bad. They just ran into a buzzsaw in Virginia. Yeah, and it's um, it really shows how good good Virginia is because Virginia Tech didn't play a bad game. They didn't. It's not like they turned it over a ton or they took a, bad, a lot of bad shots. It's just it's really difficult to score against Virginia when they get set up. Um, and what Virginia did well was make shots so they can't get in transition. Um, and when you can't get in transition against Virginia, um, someone's going to have to be um, shooting the ball extremely well or um, someone like Romeo Langford that can get into the paint and score consistently around the rim through contact. Um, so, yeah, it's going to take a lot to beat Virginia, but Virginia Tech is a scary team as well. Uh, I think Nikhil Alexander-Walker uh, just continues to get better every game. Um, he's someone that kind of reminds me of Gary Harris a little bit, um, plays both sides of the court, um, can shoot the ball, um, can like underratedly get to the rim uh, and, and score over over bigs, um, and is very just quiet, goes out and plays his game. So I, I think he's going to carry this, this team um, and take them as far as they can which I think could be Elite Eight, um, depending on their matchups. But Virginia Tech impressed me despite the, the large margin of victory because they played Virginia, who nearly played a perfect game. Yeah, and I, I think – so Virginia Tech um, pretty much has the same team from last year or this year. They had Chris Clark, who was uh, hasn't played yet, got, dis- I think, dismissed from the team. At the very least, he's suspended and not going to play this year. Um, so that kind of hurts, but – uh, so from last year to this year, they've really improved defensively big time. They were a mediocre defense at best last year. This year, they're one of the better defenses. They're probably in the top 40 or so. But um, they they really have athleticism all across the board. And for the most part, they play everyone that's like 6'5", minus Justin Robinson. So they're all, they're all the same build, same size, everything. 
Um, and it allows them to switch pretty much everything, which at the college level is uh, not very normal at least and really hard for some college offenses to score against. Uh, that wasn't the case for Virginia just because they were making everything, especially in the first half, and they're as well-rounded of a team as there is. But, yeah, Virginia Tech is very deserving of their top ten ranking right now, and they're going to be they're gonna have a lot to say in the ACC for the rest of the year for sure. Yeah, yeah, these are two good, really good teams. Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head if Virginia Tech plays Virginia again. Um, but if they do, I would love to see that matchup in Virginia Tech. Uh, I think that um, result will be a lot, a lot different um, just because, like I said, Virginia played nearly perfect. Um, they play them February 18th at Virginia Tech. So definitely tune in for that game. It's on Monday, so it's on Big Monday. Um, going to be a really, really good game. Uh, and I wouldn't. That was also a, uh, a little bit of a revenge game because Virginia oh, lost to Virginia yeah. Tech last year in Charlottesville. And you By could definitely lot. tell coming out of the gate, Virginia had a whole lot to – they definitely remembered that one. Yeah, yeah, they definitely, yeah. I mean, this whole this whole season, I think, is a revenge game for them. That's why I don't think anyone's going to beat them in March or April. Um, but, yeah, that, I think that's good on, on the Virginia-Virginia Tech. We'll jump into one last matchup of um, the, in the SEC where Tennessee just played Florida um, in a very tightly battle. Um, Tennessee came up on top. Um, just showed their their depth, their ability to score the ball efficiently. Um, but Florida put up a heck of a fight. Um, so what do, what do you want to talk about with that one? Yeah, I think Florida could have beaten, uh, I want to say, 80%, 90% of the teams in the country with the effort they put up against Tennessee. Um, on their home court, crazy environment, that was that game. And they gave, they gave Tennessee everything they could handle. Tennessee just kept taking punch after punch after punch and responded. They they have they play good defense, they have great offense, and they just have a whole bunch of athletes that you know what you're going to get from Grant Williams every single night. He's going to be somewhere around 20 and 10. Admiral Schofield's been really consistent so far. Um, you know you're probably going to get 15 plus from him, and he's going to just be a pest everywhere. Um, and then they have just all these other guys like Bone. They have... Uh, Alexander. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who was, someone had like 20 in that 40 game. I'll think of it. But uh, they they just have continually better and better players getting better each year or each uh, game coming off the bench for them to help out. And, I mean, they, I, to me, they're probably the second best team in the country behind uh, Virginia right now. And it all starts with Grant Williams. I mean, the fact that they can just play through uh, play through him on the offensive end, and he's going to be so consistent and bring them at least 20. I was, I feel confident he can get you 20 on any given night. Um, and I also, last thing I'll say about him is I think it's pretty interesting that they've been able to win playing multiple different styles so far this year. I mean, they've had to play, like, slow it down. Um, they've had to play pretty quick. They've also played against some good defenses. They've obviously played some bad defenses, but they've they've more or less responded to every scenario. Um, they had the close loss to Kansas that, I mean, they lost by six in overtime on a neutral site early in the year. Like, Kansas is a really good team, so that's not that's not that big of a deal. But they're loaded. Uh, honestly, they could run the table in the SEC. Um, I mean, Kentucky and Auburn are solid. There's some middle-of-the-pack teams that are really good in the SEC, but I think Tennessee is by far and away the best SEC team. Yeah, they're just a complete team. Um like you said, it starts with Grant Williams, who struggled a little bit against Missouri um, just because they doubled him as soon as he touched the ball. And I think that's the first time he really saw that um, this season, um, getting doubled hard constantly. Um, and then Florida sort of adopted that a little bit, um, not doubling as hard, but still doubling when he gets the ball um, in a scoring position. Um, and he adapted well, uh, and that's a scary thing. So if Grant Williams, you can't double him, uh, or if you're doubling and he still puts up 20 and nine, um, it, it's a scary thing for the rest of the country uh, because of how complete they are. Um, one of my favorite guys on the team is Kyle Alexander, just a crazy good rebounder. Um, is going to go after every single ball. Um, he only get, grabbed five rebounds partly because he was in foul trouble on a few questionable calls, uh, but the 
he just plays so hard. Um, it goes after everything. Even his own missed shot, he's going to probably get it back. Um, and Jordan Bowden was the one that put up. He had 17 against Florida. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. Um, they just have a lot of weapons off the bench. Uh, Bowden um, is more of a slasher, can get to the rim. And they have um, Lamonte Turner, um, can really knock down an outside jumper um, and just gives you spacing. But, yeah, I mean, they just have a ton of guys. Um, Ponds, you, you got Bone, like you said. I mean, these guys are just overall very solid. But Florida played really well, especially in that first half, um, of slowing Tennessee down. Because Tennessee is really dangerous when they get in transition. And, and what Florida did was sort of run a three-quarters court press um, and, and try to slow them down. Almost, a, It was like a 3-2 a extended, um, a 1-2-2 two, two, uh, type of press where they had to slow the ball down and reverse it a couple times before they got over to half court. And it was 23 seconds left in the shot clock um, before they sort of got into their offense. Um, so that that was really effective. Uh, and the fact that um, Locke was able to go off a little bit in the first half, knocking down a ton of shots. Um, Kevon Allen sort of got back to his normal self, um, hitting, hitting over jumpers. That kept them in it and got them the lead. And then Tennessee sort of adjusted from there, um, got out to shooters in the second half, um, and really showed how good they are as a team. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately for Florida, they already have seven losses and three conference losses, but they started out slow, as we talked about earlier, and then their conference losses are uh, to South Carolina by two on the road, or at home against Tennessee when the game they pretty much had won the whole time, and then Tennessee just kept responding, as we said. And then they just recently lost, I think last night, um, to Mississippi State on the road by three. So they've been close in every game, but they really got to get it going and not just play well, but start winning games to make the tournament here. Yeah. I mean, they're a team that, that could be like an Arizona State from last year, Oklahoma, that has double-digit losses, but because they've played so well all year, um, will make the tournament as the last four in. Uh, they have the talent to do it. They have the coaching to do it. Um, but like you said, they just have to start winning some SEC games. And SEC isn't easy. Um, last year they got eight teams in. Um, this year they could potentially push ten. Um, so um, this is a deep league. But it's, if they get quality wins here, um, get a one or two on the road um, where they're underdogs, uh, I think they're the last four team in. Um, but so you want to just move right into our SEC teams there? Yeah. Well, let's uh, take a quick break here and jump into the SEC. Um, you know, we're covering three teams today, so stay with us. Right. Game over. Gamecocks are in the Final Four. All right, so we're going to jump into three SEC teams. The first team is going to be um, South Carolina, um, led by – Frank Martin, which I was surprised to see, um, is in his seventh season already. I still remember him at Kansas State, coaching Beasley, Bill Walker, Jacob Pullen, all those guys. Um, but, yeah, um, South Carolina started off really slow. I've been battling a lot of injuries. Um, but I've had some quality wins so far um, and now have sort of a, a solid team here. So their, their personnel um, – They've been mixing up a little bit, uh, but start Trey Campbell, a graduate student that transferred over from Georgetown. Um, they have Keyshawn Bryant, who's a freshman. Uh, Chris Silva plays in the back in the front court. Um, they also sort of rotate that shooting guard position, but AJ Lawson has been there. Uh, and then um, their big is Mike Kotsar, um, with guys like Alonzo Frank. Um, Felipe Hase, um, Asani Gravat, sort of coming off the bench for them. So what do you think about this team? Um, I've never been a big big South Carolina fan. Uh, they started out the season really, really slow. Um, they had losses early on to Stony Brook, Providence, Swafford, uh, and then they Wyoming, which is just – I don't understand that one. Um, but then they lost to some good teams also like Michigan, Virginia, and Clemson. Uh, had a little four-game losing streak there in the middle of the year. Um, but they started to hit their stride for sure. 
And I think most of that losing streak um, was due to the fact they didn't have Justin Manaya for a lot of the a lot of the season so far. Um, he's, in my opinion, he's their best player besides Chris Silva. Probably, I think those two are are pretty solidified as their big time contributors. Um, and then you can throw in a couple of freshmen in there too, and Keyshawn Bryant, AJ Lawson. But uh, I mean, they don't have a ton to like. They don't. They're not a great offensive team by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it's the same South Carolina team you think of, like when they when they won and went to the Final Four with Cinderius uh, Thornwell and PJ Dozier. It's pretty much that same type of team, except they don't have those two guys, <laughs> so their offense is definitely hurting from that. Um, but I mean, I think they might be able to make a little bit of a run in the SEC. I just don't really see that happening. Uh, there, personally, I just don't like a whole lot about South Carolina. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, they're they're a tough brand of basketball. They play hard. Um, it's a Frank Martin team, so he's going to make them play hard on defense. Um, try to get a little bit out in transition, but run a sort of a half-court offense where the ball is constantly moving. Um, don't really have a go-to guy uh, offensively. Um, I think eventually A.J. Lawson and Keyshawn Bryant will – emerge into that, but they're still learning college basketball, both being freshmen. Um, they like to get the ball down low to Mike Kotsar, um, who's played well. Um, had a, he's been having a solid season. He's 6'11", big body, 264. Um, comes over from Estonia, uh, who just has a lot of skills in his footwork um, and can get into the paint. But um, other than that, they sort of rely on their defense, really. I mean, Trey Campbell comes over from Georgetown, um, and when he played at Georgetown, he came off the bench and just defended their best player. Um, didn't bring much offensively, uh, and that's what he's doing here. It's just bring the ball up, getting the ball out, uh, getting it out of his hands and moving it around. Um, they have so, a little bit of a scoring punch off the bench with Sasani Gravat. Um, he's a redshirt senior who sort of can shoot from the outside, um, Limited, putting the ball on the floor, but still has that capability. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's, they're a team that I wouldn't be shocked if they made an SEC run. Um, they got into the uh, tournament sort of as a 10 seed and maybe upset the 7 seed, but um, someone that I could easily see missing the tournament just because of their really, really slow start. Um, but uh, the one guy that I do really like uh, in South Carolina is Chris Silva. Uh, just a freak uh, athletically, uh, can block shots, and has grown so much since his freshman year there. Um, I, I really just like how he plays plays the game, plays hard on both sides of the ball. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it for me in South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also think Chris Silva is their their stud, uh, super athletic, big, can really get out and run. Interesting to me that they've uh, played a lot of him and Kotsar together. Um, Kotsar, if you remember, is the he can kind of step out and shoot it, but he's big physical, uh, big physical European player from that you probably remember as a freshman from their Final Four run. He had a pretty big impact on them in the tournament, but um, they. I feel like they'd be better served with Silva at center and then try to put, um, now that they have Justin Minaya back, try to play him and Trey Campbell together uh, as just two solid ball handling scorers. Because um, Trey's been a little bit better offensively. <laughs> Not great, but uh, I think they could definitely use more scoring in their, in their uh, starting lineup. And Chris Silva brings plenty of intensity and, and defensive ability to make up for the lack of size uh, if they go with if if they go with uh, four guard lineup, but um, yeah, I'm I'm good with with South Carolina too. Yeah, I mean the only other thing to add, I th- I think they can play a little bit more small ball, um, even with Felipe Hase as the center because he can stretch the floor. Um, he's mainly out there to stretch the floor. He can he can really shoot it, um, not very quick or anything like that to put the ball on the floor, but. Um, bring some size and, and shooting capabilities. And, and Alonzo Frank, Frank had a huge game um, the other day. Uh, I forget who the player was playing now. Um, but it's really starting to come to his own. Um, a freshman uh, plays sort of center 
for them. Um, surprisingly, at 6'6". Um, has some weight to him. He's 265, so big big body. Um, but has been playing uh, playing well. He had a knee injury in, um, early on in the season, so now he's, he's getting used to that. And I think he needs to get back in shape. He looks a little out of shape right now. Um, but he can bring some energy for them as well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think South Carolina is their ceiling is a second round exit of the, the tournament. Um, but that's enough. Yeah, I, I personally don't think they're going to get to the tournament. I mean, no, they started 3 0 in, in the SEC, but uh, I'd be pretty surprised to see them make the tournament just because I feel like they got to lose at least seven to eight uh, tournament or uh, conference games. So that puts the middle of the pack in the SEC, and a really bad non conference schedule sets them up for probably an NIT. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, let's just take another quick break, and we'll jump into Alabama. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Roll Tide, y'all. Roll Tide, Mark Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Get sauce. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. It's such an honor. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Yep. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. <laughs> Woo! Hi, Marion Daisy. Roll tide. Roll tide. Roll tide. He will always be remembered. Roll tide. Roll tide. All right, so we're going to get into Alabama, um, second place college football team in the country. Um, sorry for that low blow, but I had to. Um, yeah, so Alabama, um, they're an interesting team. Um, they start Kira Lewis, who is the second youngest player in NCAA, um, reclassified, um, so he can come in a year early. He's actually 17 years old and playing really well. Um, so they start him alongside of Herb Jones, um, Dazon Ingram, um, or John Petty. Um, Dazon Ingram and John Petty have been sort of rotating that starting spot. Um, and then their their bigs are, are bigs. They play sort of four guards with Tevin Mack playing the four, um, and then Dante Hall at their center with um, Raleigh Norris, Alex Reese, a little bit of Daniel Giddens comes off the bench, Avery Johnson Jr., um, and like I said, John Petty, um, if he's not starting. Um, so what, what's your thoughts on Alabama? Yeah, I'm not crazy about Alabama either, um, but Kyra Lewis is a guy that just jumps off the screen when you watch them. Um, you said 17-year-old. I mean, this kid had offers from pretty much every good school that you can think of um, and had a chance to go more or less anywhere, but chose to stay home and go to Alabama and then reclassified and has just been the saving grace for Alabama so far. Um, they expected to get a lot out of John Petty, a guy that tested NBA waters last year, shockingly to me because he's literally just a standstill three-point shooter and isn't really going to do anything else for you. Um, I, I'm not a big John Petty fan, in case you couldn't tell, but uh, Dante Hall is a really super athletic big, uh, great. He, you can think of him kind of like the Andre Jordan, like a, a good rim protector, good rebounder, and just gonna go up and bang some crazy alley oops that you don't even think are possible to bring down. Uh, and then they just have a couple more huge bodies that are guards, believe it or not, in Dazon Ingram, um, and and even Herb Jones is more or less a guard. But they, besides Kyra Lewis, I don't think they have a a consistent offensive player. Tevin Mack has been pretty good so far. Um, but I think they can get a little bit more from him. Uh, but I kind of feel bad for Kyra Lewis being a 17-year-old and just have literally the entire team on his shoulders. Yeah, I mean, he, he starts the offense, gets it into it, um, really is good at penetrating uh, and getting into the lane. Has good size at 6'3". Um, obviously, being 17, still has a lot of weight to gain. Um, but I think he's he's got some, like, De'Aaron Fox potential. Uh, kind of looks like him, too. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but the way he's able to get into the paint and drive, um, not quite the defender that De'Aaron Fox is, but 
they have similar driving styles. Um, and someone I want to see more from um, is Dazon Ingram. Um, he plays about 22 minutes a game um, and only shoots about 13 to 14% of their shots, or of the shots when he's in. Um, he's someone that is big body. I mean, 6'5", 210, um, really strong. Uh, he's a lefty, likes to get to his left hand. Um, it can really take contact and is a good playmaker. A lot of times he he leads up into an hockey assist, um, so passing to the person who gets the assist. Um, I think if he is more aggressive looking for his shot, um, playmaking comes a little bit easier to him. Um, I think he's only taken 15 threes in the year and hit seven of them. Um, he has a good-looking shot uh, and is shooting really efficiently. It's just I don't think he's taking enough. And I'm certainly, if I'm Avery Johnson, I'm certainly okay with his percentages go dipping down a little bit if he's shooting a little bit more. Um, because if Kyra Lewis isn't going um, and John Petty's shot's not hitting, uh, they, they really struggle offensively. Tevin Mack's going to get his shots. Um, he shoots a lot. He's a transfer from Texas. Um, didn't, didn't like the system. Shaka Smart um, ran, so sort of transferred to Alabama. Um, and likes to shoot the ball, um, but not necessarily as efficient as possible. Um, and Dante Hall came in as a 6'9", 185 freshman, just sort of a bean pole, um, and then put on almost 50 pounds, is up to 230 now, um, but still developing his offensive game even into his senior year. So, I mean, they, they certainly need um, – guys to step up a little bit more offensively. Um, Riley Norris is a, a sort of standstill spot-up shooter who's not, who's not terrible at it. Um, but And Alex Reese is just uh, – it's, it's funny to watch him. I don't think he's ever ran on his toes. He's very flat-footed, very slow-footed, um, just a big body out there. So Alabama, I think, needs someone needs to step up outside of Kira Lewis to sort of – Make a make a run and get into the tournament at a decent seed. Yeah, the last thing I'll say, uh, I guess two things is one, I think they should be much better defensively, just because they're all super athletic and really strong and physical. Besides Kyra Lewis, who's a seventeen year old, so why should he be developed like these other guys? But um, they, I mean, they're decent uh, efficiency wise on defense, but they really don't do anything well except rebound. Um, and that's expected because they're all big and athletic, but I think they should be a much better defensive team than they are, and I don't think they should be giving up 80 points to teams like Texas A&M. Uh, but they have, so they've played three quad one games so far, UCF on the road, Kentucky at home, and LSU on the road. They're one and two in those games, only beating Kentucky at home in a game I still can't figure out how they won. So, I mean, they have, let's see, one, two, three, four. They have six more games against quad one teams. Um, so they still have a decent chance to make an impact in those games. But I think they're going to need to win at least four of those next six to get into the tournament. Yeah, yeah, they're going to need some big wins to get in for sure. Um, and the guy I just want to mention a little bit more is Herb Jones. Um, good defender, um, very good at the help side and team defense. Um, a little handsy on on ball defense where he gets into some foul trouble like he did against Texas A&M. Um, but he's someone that could certainly step up offensively. Um, another lefty, very long, athletic, um, can get to the paint, shoot it a little bit. Um, but, yeah, he's another guy, I think, who should have a bigger um, step up from last year. Um, where he relied a lot on Colin Sexton, and now this year is relying a lot on Kira Lewis. Um, so, I don't know. They need to come together as a whole, um, shoot more threes. I know Avery Johnson has been preaching that they need to shoot a little bit more from the outside, um, and that's where I think Dazon Ingram and Herb Jones come in. Um, but, yeah, that, that's good on Alabama. Again, I think their ceiling is similar to South Carolina, sort of a second-round exit. Um, but let's take another short break and get into Mississippi. Started the run uh, in the SEC last year and winning games, selling out the Tad Pad. That was definitely a uh, time of basketball that anyone surrounded with the Ole Miss team uh, will never forget. 
All right, so we're going to jump into Mississippi, Ole Miss, um, sort of a surprise team in the SEC, picked to finish last, um, are currently 3-1 and one in the SEC, and I think 13-3 and three overall, or 13-4. Um, as you guys know, Zach loves Iowa State. Um, this is the team that I Stop. love. They lost a few games in a row. I, I jump off the bandwagon. Oh, wow, that was a quick quick exit for you. <laughs> no, I'm still on it. I just don't want people to know that. <laughs> You're dragging from the behind. You're holding on to the <laughs> Yeah, the I'm hanging on for dear life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, this is this is definitely a team that I think is very complete, um, has a lot of different scoring options. Um, they Their starting lineup is Devontae Schuler at point guard. Um, they have Brian Tyree uh, at sort of off-ball guard um, with Terrence Davis, who's also a guard. Um, and then they have the freshman um, Blake Henson at point or at power forward with um, Dominic um, Onicek, um from Poland as their center, just a huge, huge body um, with guys like KJ uh, Buffin, Bruce Stevens, um, DC Davis coming off the bench, and a little bit of Luis Rodriguez. Um, but their team really starts and ends with their three guards. Um, Brian Tyree is their leading scorer. He's averaging like 18 a game um, with Terrence Davis and Devontae Schuler also capable of going off. Um, and then Blake Henson has been a big surprise for them, I think, um, where he's coming as a freshman and really fit in seamlessly um, and able to, to go off as well. Um, he's had a has had a twenty point game, um, and just plays really really hard. Um, someone Kermit Davis says is one of the hardest workers that he's ever seen. Um, so, what do you think about Ole Miss? Well, first of all, can I give an amen for the Kermit Davis hire from the Middle Tennessee State? Because oh, that was I don't absolutely. know how it took him so long. He was at I mean Middle Tennessee from '03 to 2000 to last year. Unbelievable. And he only. He only had to knock off uh, Michigan State as a 15 seed to do so to get out of there. But <laughs> and I mean, Vanderbilt last nailed year. that one. Yeah, yeah. That he that's he nailed. They necessarily just hit a home run with that one. Um, couldn't ask for a better coach right now for that team. Um, and then the the just I've never seen anything like this stat that kind of jumped out to me when I first looked at this team numbers wise. But so they have four of the starters you just mentioned that are shooting, they've shot more than 53s, and all four of them are shooting 38% or better from the three-point line. I don't remember the last time I've ever seen numbers like that. Um, and then they even have another guy that's 5 of 13, so that's 39% almost. Just incredible that they shoot it that well. Um, as a team, they're shooting 37.4% from three and 56.2% from two. Just make pretty much everything they look at. Um, and they're playing really much better defense than I thought they would too, especially because they, they really start three guys. Um, I know they're the, they're listed at 6'2", 6'2", and 6'4", but if that's the case, I'm a lot taller than I am too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, and I, well, they're, although they're maybe shorter um, than what they're listed at, they play bigger. Um, Terrence Davis certainly plays um, like he's 6'7". He's got long arms. Yeah, he plays above the rim. He's very strong, very athletic, um, plays with a lot of heart, is definitely their leader. Um, whenever times get tough, they go to him. Um, but, yeah, with their shooting, their shooting has been unreal this year. Um, I think all the, both of those percentages are top 20 in the country. Um, that's just off the top of my head. I can't remember now. Um, but I think the biggest reason from last year, um, finishing with 12 wins, to this year is that they're taking more disciplined shots. Uh, I think that's a big attestment to, it, to um, Kermit Davis. Um, getting them the shots that they need to take um, rather than the ones they want to take uh, because guys like Brian Tyree and Terrence Davis um, last year were taking tough contested shots um, to where this year they're moving the ball around, getting into the paint, starting with the drive, um, and then their three-point shot is following from there. Um, and once they get going, they're tough to stop. Um, I think this year the reason for a lot of the, their losses, especially against last night against LSU, 
um, was they revert back to what they're comfortable with and taking those tough shots um, and going on a, and giving up a sort of like 8-0 runs um, where they find themselves behind the eight ball and then they're just trying to play back and uh, play back and try to get back into it. Um, but, I mean, they, they have a ton of potential. Um, I, w- I know this is going to shock you, Zach, but I think this team could potentially make the Final Four um, if they play the way they ca- they're capable of. Um, because defensively, um, they'll play a 1-3-1 um, half court, so right at the half court line. Um, K.J. Buffin will, will play the top um, and really slow the game down. And then offensively, um, they get into it and can get into transition off misses. Um, and Terrence Davis and Tyree and Schuler are all awesome at getting into transition and getting to the rim. Um, so they have all what it takes to sort of get to the to the final four because they play that 1-3-1 one, one zone half court and then um, once the team sort of breaks that, they drop back into a 2-3 um, on makes. Uh, makes it really difficult because they're constantly switching from a 1-3-1 to a 2-3 to man. Um, and, and in college, that, that tends to make teams to struggle. Um, and you see that a lot of times, um, especially when they played Auburn and when they played Vanderbilt. Guys didn't know what to do because they don't know if they run a set play or what defense they're actually in, um, that kind of thing. So I really like this team. Yeah, I'm still catching my breath from the Final Four thing, but other than that, um, <laughs> no. Uh, so, I I think Brian Tyree is a very special player, uh, a junior now that has, if you look at his stats from year to year, he's gotten consistently better each year and really taken off this year. Um, so, I think they know what they're going to get each night from him. Uh, the nights that teams choose to double him, uh, like uh, Auburn was super focused on trying to take him out of the game. And they had a huge game from Terrence Davis in that game. So um, even if Tyree can't get going, they have enough guys that are all very capable. Uh, honestly, they are a really good team. They're trying to be – so last year Auburn was picked to finish dead last in the SEC, and they won the regular season championship. This year Mississippi's trying to do the same thing, uh, which is kind of crazy to think about two years in a row that could happen. But, um, again, Kermit Davis has been a home run there, and they just have a bunch of guys that really know what they're doing. Um, I personally am usually fearful of teams that are so reliant on jump shots to score. Um, with that being said, somehow they only have 30% of their uh, points are from threes. So really not that reliant on the three ball, even though when you watch them, it really feels like a lot of their uh, game is reliant on the three. But um, So that's like my only hesitation, even though the numbers don't back that up. Um, I... I'm struggling with the Final Four. I, I, I can't say I'd be shocked if they got there. I know you're not saying they're going to get there. You just wouldn't be surprised. Right. Um, I wouldn't be surprised either, but I feel like they're more of like a win the first round and then see what happens next year type of deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason I say that I can see them in the Final Four is because of the type of game that they play. They can slow the game down and still score, um, but they're more effective defensively when the game's slow. Uh, and that's what they really try to do um, because teams like Auburn, they like to get up and down and transition, uh, and when they're running that 1-3-1 three, one and a half court, Auburn couldn't get going. Um, their their half-court offense would, um, was really relying on Harper making his own shot, um, and that's something that they're going to thrive on because they played that three-guard, um, that lineup. They have Terrence Davis running the back the in the one three one, he plays the bottom of the one three one, where he's running from corner to corner, and because he's so athletic, um, so quick, he's able to cover that. Um, and with KJ Buffin sort of up top or Blake Hinson up top with their length, that really keeps the ball on one side. Um, so that kind of off or that kind of defense can really go a long way in March. I mean, we've seen it with Syracuse where they run the two three zone and just teams get confused, um, and they struggle. They get sort of they slow down and they don't move as much. They don't move the ball as much as they need to to get through that. Um, so that if that 1-3-1 one, one is really working and dropping back into a 2-3, um, that's where I can see them making the final four um, because having four guys that can go for 20 points or more at any given time um, really helps you offensively. So um, 
I think that's enough on Ole Miss. Anything else you want to add? No, I'm good. Glad we both have our own second favorite teams now. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, um, get into our picks, the trade, and then the study. Straight cash, homie. All right, so we're going to get into our picks first. Um, I'm picking for tonight, so I don't know what you're doing. Um, but you can go ahead first. All right, well, in case you couldn't tell, this one was coming about an hour ago when we first started talking. Um, Duke is nothing without Trey Jones. <laughs> And they played Virginia on Sunday. I don't think you understand what Virginia defensively is going to do if R.J. Barrett is the point guard. Um, even if he's not the point guard, they're still probably going to do the same thing. Duke being at home, I think that they're going to be... So if they had Trey, I would say Duke is probably like a four-point favorite because of home. Um, so they have to be, kind of be careful with the lines. But um, without Trey... I would say Virginia will be like a three-point favorite. Honestly, if it's anything, if it's anything under like eight, I would take Virginia. I think Virginia's going to hammer Duke on Saturday. I really do. I, I, I'm taking Virginia pretty much no matter what. So, what's your final final answer? Uh, say the line will be four net for Virginia, um, but like anything like if you keep it under single digits, under double digits, I'm good with it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think Virginia wins that pretty handily without Trey Jones. Um, Even with Trey, I still think Duke would be in for all they can ask for. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I don't think it's close without Trey. Um, so for me, my pick for tonight, I'll pick one for tonight and we'll pick one from Saturday, um, just in case I slack and don't get this out in time. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to pick a another small school. Um, Abilene Christian is going to be playing at home against Houston Baptist. <laughs> um, and I'm taking Abilene Christian um, minus eight and a half. Um, Houston Baptist is a solid team. Um, they played Miami tight, only lost by seven. Um, but I think Avalon Christian is just very good. They have four, I think, or three guys that average double-digit points, um, and every one of their um, players that plays over um, 15 minutes a game is shooting better than 45% from the field. Um, so play a really good team ball, and I think they uh, um, beat Houston Baptist by 9 or 10. So it's going to be close, um, but I think they pull it out in the end. Uh, That's one of those where, like, on your betting site, you have to hit the more lines and, like, scroll all the way to the bottom of the page to try, try to find that game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a um, that's one that's going to be hard to find. <laughs> um, and in case you weren't surprised, I have nothing to add to that analysis. <laughs> um, but my pick for Saturday, I'm going to stick with Ole Miss. Uh, they play Arkansas. Um, play Arkansas at home. They had a tough loss against LSU. I think they come and hammer Arkansas. Um, the line's probably going to be seven and a half. Um, and I'm going to take every one of those points. So um, I got Ole Miss at home against Arkansas. I like that one, too. Also, I forgot to do the games to watch thing. So, to, uh, what's that, Wednesday? Yeah. Watch um, Iowa State, Texas Tech, and Houston, SMU. Houston on the road at SMU should be pretty interesting. Um, and then Michigan State plays Nebraska Thursday. That should be another pretty good one. And then Maryland is getting tested this week, uh, Friday on the road at Ohio State, and then they play Monday on the road at Michigan State. Uh, coming off six wins, so at least I got a little bit of hope on one of my teams here. Um, and then the weekend's loaded with games. I mean, you got Michigan, Wisconsin, um, Kansas, West Virginia. Even though West Virginia stinks, playing there is always important for Kansas. They they definitely play close games there all the time. Um, and Indiana at Purdue in a, in a big battle of those Indiana schools. Kentucky at Auburn, see who's really the cream of the crop in the SEC. Um, that's pretty much it for this week. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, that was like, what, 15 games? So, <laughs> yeah, and that was literally just the, like, as soon as they hit my eye, I was like, well, that'll be a good one. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of good games coming up. Um, yeah. Make sure to tune in for that. Um, I'm going to give Zach a trade this time. 
Um, we're going to sort of switch roles here. Um, I'm going to trade with Ole Miss, um, my favorite team here. Um, I'm going to trade um, Brian Tyree, which is hard to do since he's <clears throat> their leading scorer. Um, but I think that if you can trade for a guy like David McCormick, um, bring in bring in some size um, to Kansas, and Kansas gets their sort of backcourt scoring guard that they can sort of rely on. Um, and then Ole Miss will also get one of their sort of five-star recruits from next year. <laughs> um, I mean, so I think you can get a, get away with trading Tyree just because he's not really like the primary ball handler or anything. Like he's just their wing scorer more or less, or their backward scorer. Um, he's not. I'm not saying he's replaceable, but it's not like you're losing like your like your Trey Jones type deal. Um, McCormick, I think is. I think he could be pretty solid on the team uh, that he gets more chances with. I don't know that Kansas would feel like giving up their next five-star. Um, I think you could sell for a four-star even because a four-star is probably the best player on Ole Miss, at least like ratings-wise. I, I honestly do think, let's see, I think you could get another player off Kansas instead, like get an actual impact player for this year. Um, off the top of my head, I feel like you you might be able to swing like a uh, Mitch Lightfoot. Uh, I'm, I'm trying. They just have so many bigs. Like it's such a waste. <laughs> I know. Um, they needed a guard. I feel like I know. So maybe you could pull Charlie Moore back and have him be your your scorer, uh and just like step into the Tyree role. Pretty much similar player. Um, Charlie Moore is only a sophomore, so you're going to get an extra two years out of him. Or I, I would do it. Brian Tyree for McCormick and um, Marcus Garrett. I just don't like Garrett as a, as an offensive player, and I think Kansas honestly likes him way too much. <laughs> Realistically, I would one hundred and ten percent do it. McCormick and Charlie Moore for Brian Tyree, like sign it immediately. I would do that. Yeah, yeah. It's just tough because Kansas is desperate need of a scoring guard that um, is consistent. Um, right. Yeah. That's why I think like they don't use Charlie Moore as it is anyway. So you might he's your scoring guard. They just don't have no idea how to use him. So what the heck, ship him over. Yeah, and you could even throw an Olenichek to Kansas just because McCormick would just, just give him another big. Because why not? They don't know how to use the ones they got now, anyways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean that was just off the top of my head right there. Um, I'll prepare better next time if I get the next time with this chance. <laughs> Dude, no matter how hard you prepare, it's still hard. Yeah. You can't you can't trade bench players because they don't really play in college and they don't have that big of an impact. So you got to trade a starter, and then it's like a one for one type deal. And it's very hard. Yeah, a lot, a lot more difficult than you think. Um, but yeah, that's the trade. Um, getting to the last segment here um, with the study. So what's the study going to be on this week? Action. I'm a scientist. You're a scientist. Uh, we're going to do pessimism and pessimism and optimism. Once I figure out how to say them. <laughs> Uh, so, so they did a study with uh, with first with MLB teams, the Mets and the Cardinals, um, and they like just read uh, reports from like players and just listened to them talk, and they picked out like words they felt described optimism and pessimism and stuff, and really got to understand like the team as a whole if they're optimistic or pessimistic. So in the year that they did it, the Mets were a more optimistic team. They had a really high win percentage, number one in the NL. Um, and a, a batting average of .277. Cardinals were really pessimistic, had a horrible win percentage. Uh, this, so they were pessimistic before the games happened. Um, had a really low win percentage, and their batting average was .231. So Mets performs really a lot better. Um, and then they did the same thing with the NBA, except they used point spreads to try to figure it out. Um, so the more optimistic team should, ne- should cover more based on their uh, analysis. So the Nets um, were the more optimistic team compared to the Celtics in this, and the Nets beat the point spread far more than the Celtics did the year that they uh, did the study. So, I mean, there's a lot more of them. Those are just two examples, but it's been proven time and time again that 
the teams that are more optimistic after losing and more optimistic after winning have uh, better success like currently and also prolonged success um, because they're not blaming like so after they lose they're blaming something outside the team something specific not universal and something temporary whereas if they uh, are optimistic after winning they're blaming something that's like permanent universal internal so you can kind of see like where they're placing the reason for the win or loss and how closely that relates to their abilities as a player and as a team yeah, that's really interesting, and it's also interesting that you used that in the study was Brooklyn and Boston, where yet again I won another NBA bet. Um, but <laughs> yeah, well, you didn't you didn't say that Kyrie wasn't playing before it, so I say we pushed that one. <laughs> Still, I said there no Kyrie and Marcus Smart, but yeah, you nailed it. Of course, you got it right. <laughs> um, but it, Brooklyn is definitely a more optimistic team, especially right now with Boston being as pessimistic as they are. Um, worried about Kyrie leaving in the offseason. So um, it makes a lot of sense. If you're not sort of happy where you are or happy about what the future holds, then you're probably not going to perform as, as well as you can. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that wraps up another, another podcast from NBA University. Um, let us know what you think there. Um, any, any team you want us to cover, but we're going to continue on with the SEC um, and give you an NBA pod here shortly with an Eastern and Western Conference team. So anything else, Zach? Yeah, so our next uh, college podcast will probably be LSU, Florida, and Mississippi State if you wanna, if you guys want to get ready for it while we get ready for it. Yeah, it's tough to get ready for some SEC teams. but <laughs> Now we're getting into the cream of the crop, though. We got some ranked teams. We got some teams playing pretty hot right now, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, shout out to DJ Zenus again, intro, outro music, check him out. Um, but we'll, we will see you in a few days. Show up, get out on the floor. All I want to know, can we turn this thing out?